Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm a feminist, but for my singing lesson this week, I chose the show tune, I Know Him So Well, a 1970s song uh, from Chess the Musical. And the song is about a wife and mistress singing about the same man while he shags a third woman nice. who isn't, isn't even allowed in the song. Um, the way I can get through this song, because it's a very beautiful tune and it's extending my range. I mean, there's all sorts of good reasons for it. But the way that I can get through it is to uh, make enough asides that I make my singing teacher laugh. Because the lyrics are, it took time to understand the man. I know him so well. So even though we can't be together, at least I understand him. And I'm just like, this guy is a narcissist. You just can tell. It's like, how long does it take to understand him? 45 minutes, I reckon, on the absolute outside. <laughs> He's a shagger. He's a massive shagger. My favourite line is, but in the end, he needs a little bit more than me. More than me, in version of I can't oh, sing it without doing oh finger buddies. God. And then she sings more security to which I always want to say, you know, I own my own flat. This guy is on a pay-as-you-go phone contract. You just know he is. You just know. You just know this so man nice. doesn't have a car, can't keep a dog, but he needs more security. And then the other woman sings and he needs fantasy and freedom, to which I always want to say, he was vanilla as fuck when he met me. Um, <laughs> it's, so upsetting. It's, it's, oh, it, it is. It is. And she always says, oh, I moved my world to be with him. And I'm like, don't move. Please don't move for him. Don't, don't. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, do not give up your job. I did that. Don't do it. But it was written by Tim Rice and a bunch of ABBA men. It's what men hope you're saying about them after they leave you. 
That's mm. what it is. It's mm. a male fantasy that you're talking to another woman who has also been brokenhearted about how you just can't get over him and how obsessed you are with him and why, and it's just madness, yeah. we can't be together. I mean, in reality, we usually are saying that, but that's just an annoying truth. No, uh, but I it's... think if you were to update it, there would be a whole like different like hook thing. I don't know the parts of songs. But there would just be like a little breakdown where it's like the dick to bomb, the dick to bomb. It was such good penis, yeah, the dick to bomb. <laughs> Is that how the song I, goes? I'm gonna send that to Tim Rice as a possible 2020 <laughs> revision. I'm a feminist, but I am so cool with uh, being on semi lockdown right now. Uh, because I broke out a few weeks ago and I'm totally fine with not being able to go anywhere until my new skincare products kick in. So do you know what I say? Hold off on a vaccine, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> yep, I don't care. Wow. Don't, that's right. Wow. That's right. Wow. Courting popularity there. The views of Kima Bob are not necessarily those of the guilty feminist. I'm a feminist, but while most feminists that I see in real life and on Twitter seem to love normal people, the BBC television show, for me so far, it's just been six episodes of repressed, aloof Irish sex with one public display of affection. Finally, episode six, he touches her in public and it's like, (gasps) because he's somehow embarrassed about going out with her. I don't understand why. They're both very hot, although people are obsessed with him and I don't find him that hot. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. If you are listening, Paul Meskell, you don't care because you've been nominated for an Emmy today, but I wouldn't. But I am pissed off because I don't think it's fair that Paul Meskell is nominated for an Emmy and Daisy Edgar-Jones isn't because That's they're both doing exactly say. the same acting. Yeah. It's exactly the same acting. It's identical and acting. There's some crazy stuff you haven't gotten there in the series, but there's some stuff where you go, well, what are they giving out awards for? Crying as a man. Uh, he cries. They, they both cry, but women don't get awards for crying. Wow, that sucks. That hurts my heart. That actually ties well into my next time a feminist spot. Oh, thank um, God. Because that show arrived at a time in lockdown where I was arguably... Uh, my horniest for both lust and love. Um, oh. So that show just filled quite a void in my life. And I will say that so far, the hardest part of being confined to home for me was uh, this three-week period when I left Texas without my vibrator to when I ordered one in London. And like I said, I'm fine. I'm fine to stay inside. I don't even care. Everybody, stop doing the science. Stop doing the science. No, please don't stop doing the science. Please, I beg you, continue with the science. We desperately need a vaccine. People are very unwell. Kima Bob doesn't mean this. She's a subversive comedian. I'm a feminist, but when I've been walking the streets with my mask on, I've only been hit on one time, and I say, that's not enough. (laughs) See me. See me. I haven't been hit on at all with a mask on and I haven't been catcalled at all. All my friends are like, whenever I go running, I just get catcalled the whole time. 
and it's an awful. And I'm like, yeah, 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 it's really awful. I get yeah, catcalled all the time too. I really find it very objectionable. No one's catcalling me at the moment. And I'm really happy about that. It's good. But also, Come it on. does. If, Come if, on. Listen, if in general catcalling <laughs> has gone away, that is the result. But when your friends are going on and on and on, and they live in Camden, there's one friend in particular who goes running in Camden every oh, day, and she's like, area. oh, the catcalling's got so much worse through lockdown. <laughs> And that's not music to my ears because I'm it? like, why is she so much more catcallable than me? And isn't that a terrible yeah. thing to feel? Why, why would I feel like that? That's a terrible thing to feel. I don't want any woman to be catcalled ever. But also... But come on! <laughs> but also, don't catcall her and not me. Even it yep. out. Yep. Half for me, half for her. I can take it. I yep. don't know. I don't mean any of this. This is Kima's making me say all of this. I'm a bad influence. I'm a feminist. But there are certain famous gay men that I would turn if I could just for one night, which is so not okay. You have to guess who those famous men are, Kima Bob. Well, actually, anyone can play this. I've got three in mind, three famous gay men that I would like to turn. One is famous. Oh, that's a very good question. One is still alive. The other two are dead. So they're going to be so you'd have to, to turn, turn them from that as well. Yeah, I have to turn them from dead to alive first. That, that, yeah, that's the it's bigger one. Anderson Cooper for me. Oh, that's a good call. I hadn't thought of Anderson Cooper. I really oh, like yeah. to have cocktails with him. I don't think I want to sleep with him. My live one. Anyone else got any guesses to my live one? Uh, Paula Grady. Paula Grady. No. Anyone else? Anyone else got any thoughts? Who? Philip Schoenfeld? No, again, no. Almost. I have actually, I did a gig with him once, didn't feel a flutter, nothing. No, it's actually Neil Patrick Harris. Mm. Find him yeah. extremely attractive. Um, so my wide. two dead ones, anyone want to have a go at my dead ones? Uh, Dale Winton. <laughs> no. Ooh. Uh, no, I'm not no? okay. Too recently no? dead. That's too not soon. When, not when you're in the supermarket near the beach. No, <laughs> no. Too, too recently dead. Think of the phone I'm, I'm live googling these men as well. Um, oh yeah, because they're Winton, kind of British TV presenters. Yeah, that yeah, you're not going to know. I would know. say Dale Winton. Not so much, Grace. Oh really? So anyone got any dead ones? Rock Hudson. Yeah. Rock Hudson. Oh, good call. And yes, I would go there. Also, Cary Grant. But it's not yeah. the ones on my list. The ones on my list are Alan Turing and Oscar Wilde. On the Oscar basis of Wilde. both sort of, Alan Turing was kind of shy and, you know, a genius. And I feel I could mm-hmm. open him up and heal his pain. Yeah. And Oscar Wilde. I mean, just think of the bants in the bar. I mean, my yeah. God. Really? That's so the witty. Thing to me. I feel but like it's so the unattractive, morning, though. Like, like, trying to get what? The in. What? So unattractive. Well, yeah, you if can we, have the bands anyway, but if, like. Okay, Polly and Grace, if we ever go out on the lash together, we bump into the recently resurrected Oscar Wilde, there'll be no issue. He's it's mine. A big, it's a yeah. big I mean, I, I feel like not there's worried. not going to be much issue from, from my corner anyway, because I, I remain all the way gay. Uh, oh, so yeah. I'm not going to fight you for Oscar yeah, Wilde. Yeah, 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 but how much? Dale Winton, different story, babe. <laughs> different <much>? story. <laughs> I'm, I'm Googling, I'm Googling here. Alan Turing, not hot. Oscar Wilde, I understand the vibes, especially with the long hair. Um, and I feel like for the bands, for the energy, for mm-hmm. the quirk, for the purple... For the story, for the story. If you had a chance to sleep with Oscar Wilde and you didn't for the story. Although I think Oscar Wilde, I don't know. It's hard to know with period men. 
Yeah. Whether well, or not... just meeting him would be enough of a story. Like, mm, that's a big take story. It further. You've got to take suppose, it further, Polly. I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you absolutely don't, Polly. The official policy of the guilty feminist is not that you have to take it further. That's not our slogan. The guilty no, feminist, no. you have to take it further, yeah. even though you don't want to. It's the opposite of our slogan. Our slogan is hashtag consent. So, Get in you know, there. No, no, it isn't, Kima. <laughs> do you have a... Do you have a final, a final I'm a feminist butt, Kima? I shudder to ask. No, I'm frightened to I'm ask. Just, that's as feminist as I've ever been. Uh... <laughs> From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Kima Bob, and very special guests, Polly Neat and Jeannie Preby, talking about home. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is co-pilot Kima Bob, and today we're talking about home. Hello, Kima Bob. Hello, DF Dubs. How you doing? So great to have you back in the country. Um, Now, before we get down to it, I'm going to introduce everyone else as we do now. So firstly, uh, we have Polly Neat. Uh, Polly is the chief executive of Shelter, the homelessness and housing charity. And so, Polly, hello. Feel free to laugh, heckle, chip in in any way, shape or form uh, before we come to your second. And uh, we're waiting for Jeannie to join the call. We'll let you know when she has. But in the meantime, our house band, I would say at this point, it's fair to say, (laughs) Grace Petrie and Foki Ben, uh, who really serve. I mean, they're always the best part of the show. They come on at the end and (laughs) dish out some serious tunes. But uh, in the meantime... Serve a similar function to the hecklers on the Muppets, the two old men <laughs> in the box in the theatre who were uh, Waldorf and Statler, who served mostly to undermine and occasionally to amuse. Uh, so Grace and Ben, <laughs> lovely, <laughs> lovely to see you. And lovely as always to be here. It's good to be heckling again. Thank you. Oh, it's an absolute dream. To give you a full picture, both uh, Grace and Furky Ben are drinking alcoholic beverages where the rest <laughs> of us are professionals. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, look, how do you they're, know? They're in the mu- Oh, how do I know, Polly? What if you get a hip flask? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're no, in the music I, actually, scene. That's I what- really no, I haven't. Just you to haven't. Be clear. Would you like one? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Teasing Grace because she's one of those close <laughs> friends you can tease. But you are very welcome. Get a glass of wine if you'd like one. If it would make you feel more relaxed, I'd, oh, I'd no, offer I need you to one. Be, but- I need to be all CEO like. Oh, okay. Sorry, you're being a CEO. I apologise for even suggesting it. Yeah, it was me. Kima Bob, can I help you to a a, Uh, a a shot of anything? No, it's cool. Just have a giant bottle of water with barely any water in it for me, please. Mm. (laughs) Water, yeah, great. Yeah, can I please have a one and a half liter bottle of water with about? Two cups of water in it, please. <laughs> and I, I have Diet Coke. My Instagram live show, well, which has become less frequent as lockdown has lessened. Sorry, Lester. That's uh, that's the tactless of it. It's so tactless. In London, lockdown has lightened up, but in Leicester, it has locked down further. Leicester's doubled yeah. the fuck down. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. where Grace Petrie and Foki Ben are, sadly. Absolutely. I mean, not sadly, and delighted to be in Leicester. Apparently, it's where we're going to fucking stay, mate, for a very long time, apparently. Yeah. There's no end in sight to Leicester lockdown. Really? Have you thought about leaving or are you not allowed to do that? You're not allowed to leave. Uh, that's the kind of the point of the Leicester oh, lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the vibe. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, you are far, far be it from me or Ben to do anything to disrupt the wonderfully consistent <laughs> government response to COVID that the UK has had. They know I don't want to be. I don't want to be the only they thing. I don't be fly in the ointment. Of <laughs> Magnificent plan that's working so well. Yeah, I want yeah. that on my conscience. <laughs> um, is Leicester the only area in the UK currently locked down to the level that you yeah. are locked down? What happened? It feels like that seems so random and such a small spot. Do you know what I mean? Not that Leicester, not to yeah. undermine the greatness of Leicester, but it's not you know, a metropolis. Why? <gasps> well, it, it was to do with the um, the actual reason that the extended lockdown happened here was I think to do with the fact that the reporting of figures was, there was a delay in it basically. So mm. they kind of, before they could kind of notice that there was much of a spike, as is consistent with the UK wide response, it was a bit late, I think, when we even went into Leicester lockdown, like it had already mm. been out, it already spread quite a lot through the community. Um, but I think the numbers are coming down quite a lot. So fingers crossed we're, we're gonna be let out soon, I guess. Oh, also, well, don't you guys luck. have sweatshops? Yeah, I didn't know how much of a kind of uh, how verified that story was, so I didn't want to uh, go I into it. I believe it a hundred percent. I saw one line about it, and I said that's the truth. So yeah. I'm going to tell everybody. Well, I saw a tweet, and I knew in my heart it yeah, was correct. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, what, what's the story? I don't think I've heard about this. So, so there's uh, there's a big textile industry uh, in Leicester, and um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think sweatshops is like too extreme a term, but basically people from like quite low income uh, backgrounds who were just being horrendously encouraged to come to work where they had symptoms uh, or not. So it's traveled quite far throughout the factories. Mm. Um, and then those people obviously have gone home and then taken it out into the community. But also all of that information did come in really, really late as well. So uh, there was like a massive lag in testing results to what was being reported nationally. So it was kind of this thing where it was like, oh, suddenly Leicester's got this massive spike. But actually, like, yeah. it didn't happen overnight, do you know what I mean? It was to do with the reporting. And, I guess my like, question was- becomes, we say sweatshops is too harsh of a word, but do they or do they not sweat in those shops? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, no. there we go. I'm not. I'm not uh, in any way defending uh, the, uh, the people are sweating. Or anywhere else. Uh, Kim people Arbo, are sweating. Just, just to be abs- just to make sure that the guilty feminist is not propagating fake news. People sweat in gyms. Uh, we don't have sweat the- gyms. Those yes. are called sweat exactly. gyms. People sweat. Yeah, it it doesn't. It really doesn't make you think. <laughs> So, Kima, Bob, it's so great to have you back in the UK. Uh, you've been in Texas for a lot of lockdown because you got caught there accidentally. Is that or is that not true? That's true about me. So, basically, I was going home to visit some familia um, because my family are Italian. Uh, I was going home that, to visit... again my... is fake news, isn't it? It's not true. But who, what are you going to do? Find me? <laughs> Try it. I don't have any money. Um, so I went to go visit my family in Texas. Um, and I was supposed to just be there for a little bit. Um, it was my birthday and I wanted to, in a weird way, turn 26 in the place where I was born, where I turned zero. And so, yeah, then stuff got really serious while I was there. And I stuck around for a bit. And it was, like, weird being back. Like, it was nice to be with, like, family and stuff. 
I learned some new things about my family, like how my nana almost drowned in a jacuzzi uh, because her wow. boobs were too big. Yeah. Because her boobs were too big. It was a whole situation. I don't really understand the dynamics of it, but she was startled by her own chest, and then she was below the water. It was a lot. It was it was tough to hear about. Um, <laughs> she's insane. And I got to feel like I felt really bad about where I was at this point in my life. Like I was like, whoa, like I'm 26. Because like in my town in Texas, when you're 26, you're like married. You have like three kids. All of their names end in lay. Um, L-E-I-G-H. And it's just kind of how it goes, you know? And I was just like, who am I? Does my job even exist? I'm just like a comedy lady, you know? Because, like, when you're, like, I feel like when you're in a big city, things are a bit different. And, like, the way that people, like, age is a bit different. Like, when you're 40 in Texas, you know, your kids are, like, in college or whatever kids do when they're full-grown adults. You're thinking about not being married to your spouse anymore, and you, like, have worked at your job for a long time, and you hate it. But when you're 40 in London, you are um, notoriously childless, you know, you're probably still in a dating Or thinking about having your first child by IVF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 40 here. It's like, oh, I don't want to miss the boat. Are there any options for me? That, That happens. Yeah, you're buying your first flat at 40 in London. But it's in zone six. Yeah. Well, I just find that people are like, I don't know. I I feel like you're like skateboarding to like the farmer's market where you sell your artisanal hemp soap. You know? So it's nice (laughs) to be back. Any of those options. None of them or all of them for people here. Yeah, I think so. So I, I just am glad to be back in a place where, you know, it feels good to be, uh, underachieving as a person. (laughs) I don't think it is underachieving though. May I defend the London way of life? I don't think at 26 I would have wanted three children. Oh my um, God, no. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a fan of it. Or even one. No. My neighbour at home in Texas, the person who owns the house behind my house, is my friend from high school's little sister. What? She owns, she owns the, the house, house and she's your friend from high school's house? little sister. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's true. You're more likely to own real estate if you live in Texas than London. It's That's mad. probably filling anywhere than London, to be honest. Filling anywhere in the world. Please welcome to the mic, Kima Bob. For welcoming me to my own laptop. <laughs> Feels so nice to be here in front of my own laptop with you guys. Um, yeah, so I was in home in Houston, Texas, the home of uh, Megan Thee Stallion, the home of Beyonce, the home of Lizzo after age 10. Yes, we are responsible for everything you love and like. Um, I was there for a few months. Um, where I got to do things like meet my childhood best friend's boyfriend who's a bit too dumb for her, but what can you say? Um, (laughs) And I also got to uh, deal with homophobia head on. Uh, The first time I was hit with it, 
I was caught off guard. I was flustered. It came out of nowhere. Just kind of like, someone said the F word. And I was like, bad. But that wasn't a good enough response. And so I said to myself, the next time someone says something naughty, I'm going to be ready. Um, so here's the part where you may actually try to find me. Okay, it was quite early in lockdown. I was invited to a first birthday party. And guess what? It was unnecessary. Babies don't remember their first birthdays, but I went. Okay, yeah. Find me, sue me, tell the cops. Um, and I was there, and there were children running around scaring me. I hate them. I'm allergic. Um, <laughs> there were children scurrying around being disgusting and, and uh, adults and whatnot. And these two guys, uh, one of them, like, dropped a cup, and the other reached down with him to pick it up. And as they reach down, they almost, like, touch faces. And this other guy goes, Oh, man, you almost kissed. That's gay. And I was ready. I was armed. I was locked. I was loaded. And I said, Oh, that's not gay. You want to know what's gay? Two men being in a busy nightclub locking eyes from across the dance floor before deciding that maybe they should talk to each other. As they approach each other, one likes the cologne of the other and starts whispering into the other's ear, Hey, do you want to get out of here? The other consents. They leave the club. (laughs) Busy in a taxi, they're rubbing on each other because they can't keep their hands off of each other. And when they reach the other's flat, they start making out. Mmm, loads of tongue, loads of hands <laughs> up and down the body, up and down the body. They start playing with each other's waistbands until one of them says, I must take these pants off. May I take these pants off? You may take these pants off. And then they break into uninhibited penetrative sex. That is gay. And <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know what? I can't even argue with you. You right. Um, <laughs> And I felt like I made a change for the better that day. Um, and I was able to make myself proud. But yeah, Keem Up Bob's a- comedy call-outs, everybody. Keem yeah, Up Bob's comedy call-outs. Try it. And all the kids were like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was definitely... I totally um, forgot this was at a child's a birthday party. Yeah. Oh, it was. Full on. I mean, presumably the one-year-olds didn't understand it anyway, but presumably there were other older children who were, were had questions were to ask many. when they got home. Oh, my God. It was just like, uh, the whole time I was there, I was like, why am I here? This is bad. We're in a pandemic. Um, but also, I was like, maybe I'm making a change in the community. So, <laughs> it was a double-edged sword, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, being home was cool. I got to hang out with my family. I think in all of it, I was just like grateful that I had a like childhood home that I could be at and be in. Yeah, that was something that even while I was there and me and my mom went back and forth uh, with what I would call like the mental breakdown showdown um, in a kind of like premeditated attempted murder off. Um, where, like, no one did attempt the murder, but everybody thought about it. Um, I was just grateful that um, I had somewhere safe to be and to spend some time. So, yeah, Texas be Texas in y'all. And it still is. I don't know if you've seen the news, but it is crazy out there. Mm. Yes, yeah. so they tell me. I was listening to 
Zach Braff and Donald Faison's Scrubs rewatch podcast, which reminds me of a simpler time. It started pre 9-11. I had just mm. left university and I was also fresh faced and full of hope, much like Zach and Donald then. And in a way, it feels like an earlier me, you know, like an earlier, sometimes home feels like an earlier version of yourself. Yeah. Um, oh my God. But they have guests on and the guests are sometimes doctors and nurses because apparently Scrubs, according to the American Medical Association, is the most realistic depiction of medicine on television. Uh, much no more way. so than they are. Yeah. Because what they say is what you're showing is the fear of young doctors who are hiding in a supply cupboard rather than actually going out and sticking something into someone. Obviously, the fantasy sequences are less real. But uh, they had a, they had a doctor on from Texas, and she said COVID's so bad in Texas now that there's no room in the hospitals. So this is the reason why we're in lockdown is because you run out of room in the hospitals. And she said we had a guy in, couldn't breathe, we just didn't have a bed, we didn't have a ventilator, we had to send him out of state. It's a scary time. I suppose my feelings on home are that I'm very grateful to have one. Uh, lockdown has really brought that home to me, all puns intended, mm. because I spent a great deal of my life going off around the world, touring The Guilty Feminist. And even if I'm not touring, just being out a lot, like my life is out. It's, oh, I've got to mm-hmm. go over here. Even if I'm in London for an extended period of time, it's like, right, I'm on the South Bank doing a show on Thursday. Then I'm seeing my friend's show on a Friday. Then I've got this event over here. I've got this workshop over here. I'm writing in this writer's room over here. And home, I think, in the last few years had increasingly become somewhere to change clothes, grab yep. a night's sleep, grab something out of the fridge on the go. After a long tour, I appreciated home, but for a few days and then invariably I'd be off out again. And what lockdown has really brought home to me is that home is precious because as soon as you need it, if your home environment isn't stable, isn't warm, isn't welcoming, if it doesn't feel safe, it doesn't feel emotionally safe, Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't feel pleasant, you know, you don't have your own things that you like, it's not aesthetically pleasing, then... It's a real problem if you're locked in it. My lockdown would have been significantly different if those things weren't in place. I remember going to the Tenement Museum in New York some years ago, which is um, it's a building in New York where loads of immigrants have come and lived and set up shop. And then what would happen is those people would sort of earn enough to get out of that crappy building and they would become the more successful immigrants and the next wave, whoever desperately needed to leave their location would then take over and there would be an era of those immigrants in that building. And it was preserved in a way other buildings weren't because it had been condemned. So they've been able to do up different rooms as they were in those different eras and furnish them with period furnishings. And they have records of who lived there. So I did this tour and I found the most poignant room was an empty room. There was nothing there. And the tour guide said, what do you notice about this room? And there were things like windows on the inside and you know how small it was, how hot it was, all of those things, how difficult it must have been. But the thing that I noticed was there were layers of wallpaper, peeling wallpaper, like 12 layers of peeling wallpaper. And there was a hole so you could see them all going back. And I said, mm. all the wallpaper. And she said, yes, because... Every single immigrant that moved here, the one thing they could do to make this their home and not the previous tenant's home, then they didn't have anything. They couldn't afford anything, but they put up wallpaper and that made it theirs. And that's what makes a home. And I, this was before I had become involved with refugees in any way, shape or form, but the refugee crisis was 
bubbling up and I was reading about it in the news. It was before the Guilty Feminists, before I got involved with the refugee crisis. And I remember just standing there looking at that wallpaper and just tears came into my eyes. And I looked back on a Facebook post recently that I'd made about that at the time saying, it's all people want when they're running from great trauma and terror is a little tiny patch that is their own where they can hang up some wallpaper and start again. And it moved me so much. And I'm sure looking at that wallpaper was the thing that motivated me to get involved with refugees later down the line. It sort of lay dormant in me. But I think about it a lot. I think about what makes a roof over your head a home. I think about the Calais jungle with the Mm -hmm. shelters inside and people putting up their own little personal things, little photographs, things from their old home to make this new home their new home. And how important that is, how important it is to have a little space where you can put up something personal and say, this patch is mine and here I'm safe and here I am free. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Our first guest today is Polly Neat, Chief Executive of Shelter, the homelessness and housing charity which defends the right to a safe home, working with individuals in communities and across society. And with her is Jeannie Preby, who is currently studying for her Master's in Nutrition at Bournemouth University. Jeannie and her family are at risk of eviction and homelessness due to the pandemic. Please welcome Polly and Jeannie. Uh, So Polly, tell us firstly about Shelter and why you contacted us to talk about this on The Guilty Feminist. Just to say, I I love that story about the museum in New York and that it really made me think about why I started working at Shelter, actually. So it was, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, So we are really, really worried at Shelter. So we've seen some horrendous suffering during the pandemic, which I can talk to you about, if you want, about uh, the kind of conditions that people have been expected to socially distance in and even self-isolate in. So things were already really at crisis point. But what we've now got is, so the government, all credit to them, put a ban on all evictions during lockdown. But that ban comes to an end on the 23rd of August. And what we're really, really worried about is that uh, many thousands, as in hundreds of thousands, of people who are privately renting could then be evicted from their homes. And we could see a homelessness crisis, the like of which, I mean, if we thought we had one before, boy, are we going to have one now? Are people Um, expected to back pay their rent, Polly? 
Um, well, yes. So people are in debt. So at least 230,000 private renters have built up rent arrears purely during the uh, pandemic lockdown period. So uh, that is money that they owe. And uh, they haven't been able to be evicted because there's been a ban on evictions going through the courts during the period of lockdown. But it's, as I say, it's coming to an end on the 23rd of August. And after that point, the landlord can say, particularly if they have two months of arrears, uh, the landlord can evict them. Um, wow. End of, basically. Um, Even though the backlog. arrears is caused by the fact they couldn't work during the pandemic and they're in a minimum yeah. wage job or... Or yeah. even not even a minimum wage job, just any no. job. That yeah. Who's got two months' rent saved? Well, absolutely. Most private renters don't. I mean, this not. is a group that's, of people You wouldn't people be renting have, if you had thousands no, and thousands I mean, people of don't have. That's right. People don't have significant savings. You know, it is very, very frightening. And, and we'd already seen, you know, we've had, I'm particularly thinking about women, B&Bs, hostels, horrible converted office blocks, are already full of women, particularly single mums and their children, who have already been struggling against all the odds, frankly, during lockdown. I mean, just the situation people have been surviving in is, you know, I've been horrified and I didn't think a lot would horrify me, to be honest, but I have been. Also, we're seeing women fleeing domestic abuse as well. So... Once lockdown's been lifted, some women are deciding to make their escape from abusive relationships. So there's huge pressure on the system anyway. And then we're seeing this kind of like evictions cliff face. I don't want to kind of alarm people. And actually, you know, you can get help from shelter. So please do <laughs> go on our website, use our web chat, phone our helpline. You know, we will try to help you if we possibly can. But it is true to say that there are going to be a significant number of people evicted. And, you know, frankly, there isn't anywhere for people to go. So for people on low incomes, there just isn't housing that people can afford to rent. And I'm not only meaning in London either. Mm. Um, What's the is... value, Polly, of, of landlords evicting people if there's no one else to take those flats that people on low incomes would be able to afford, aren't they better off just going, forget about that two months, we'll start again from when your job takes off again? So some landlords are, um, I often get accused of demonising landlords, so I better be careful. Some landlords are being really good and are proactively negotiating uh, repayment terms with their tenants. And you're right, so if somebody's been a stable tenant uh, there isn't much advantage to the landlord in letting them go. The only other thing you do have to remember, though, is that some landlords have been on mortgage holidays themselves mm. and are now having to pay back those debts. Mm. So they themselves are kind of looking for ways to make money out of their property or even to sell it. So in those cases, mm. you know, they may well feel that and they or they might feel that they will be able to find a tenant who can pay the rent. And some people's future is very insecure. And I don't want to kind of keep making these kind of statistics getting worse and worse and worse. No, we, actually, need to know, we need to know the there truth. There's about so. 1.7 million renters who think that they're going to lose their jobs in the next two to three months. So it, hopefully some of them are wrong. But even if they are, that also then is putting a huge amount of pressure into the system. 
one thing that really makes me angry is that these are the people that we've all been outside our doors on Thursday evenings clapping mm. yeah. because they're the heroes that we couldn't live without. Mm. I don't mean doctors, but I mean like nurses. I certainly mean care home workers, hospital porters, mm. delivery drivers, mm-hmm. uh, people working in supermarkets. These are the people, many of them are women, who we've all been relying on and who, you know, we are living in a society which does not give them anywhere decent they can afford to live. because Or any safety to... net if things go wrong. Yeah, there's no safety net. We are incredibly lucky in this country that if we walk outside, apart from the poor Leicester people, but if we walk outside our front door and we tragically, you know, God forbid, get hit by a car, which I did actually last week. Oh, um, God. Is that why off. your finger yeah. is in bandaged? Yeah, I'm on crutches as well. I got oh knocked God. off my bike. But I got picked up by an ambulance. I don't have private health insurance. I got taken to a world-class hospital. I got treated immediately. I didn't have to pay. Car hit me off my bike and I got. I fell into that safety net mm-hmm. that in this country is there in terms of our healthcare. I can tell you, if you become homeless in this country, forget it. There is no comparable safety net there. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of care and the kind of provision that we rely on in health just simply doesn't exist. So, Donna, I am bringing the mood down really badly. No, Polly, it, it this is, is, you know, it is come bad. On. It's really, is, really bad. We're, we're very good at a gear change here at the Guilty Feminist, and it's important that we know this. This is why you're here. I noticed coming, like if I walk through Camden now, if I walked through Camden before the lockdown, I'd get asked for change once or twice by somebody in need. Now, if I walk between Primrose Hill and home, I'll get asked six, seven times for change. During the lockdown, the most severe stage one of the lockdown, no homeless people at all, because they all seem to have been housed, I guess, in hotels and uh, Airbnbs where no tourists were. But now there are so many more people who need change and need help. Mm. And I don't know, do you know what that is? Is it just that people have been evicted already? So most of the people that were put in hotels during lockdown are still there, actually. And um, local authorities are kind of searching. for. I mean, I've already described the amount of pressure that there is on accommodation at the most affordable level. So this is a whole nother group of people, 15,000 people accommodated in hotels during lockdown. Got to find somewhere for them as well. But a lot of the people you'll be seeing now are newly on the street, often because of the impact of the pandemic on their lives in one way or another. So they've lost jobs or they've been evicted already. Actually, I mean, I've met people sleeping rough who have jobs. So the sort of unaffordability crisis, and I'm talking about, you know, zero-hour contract jobs, um, not well-paid jobs, obviously. There are homeless, street homeless people who are working. But the impact of the pandemic, you know, we already had a housing crisis. I mean, a complete housing meltdown, actually, before. And now we've got a public health crisis has come along and the two have collided. And the people who are caught in the fallout of that, as I say, are facing what we're seeing every day at Shelter, absolutely desperate hardship. Mm. And it's worth discussing on, like as feminists, because there is a really significant impact here on women. Why is it worse for women? Well, so women are 
Uh, very likely. So if you look at adults in temporary accommodation, so i.e. people who can't be housed and who end up in bed and breakfasts or what I was talking about, these kinds of like, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but former office blocks converted into like temporary accommodation units. And they're really, really small and unpleasant. So over 60% of adults in temporary accommodation are women. And many of them are single mothers. Mm. So although on the in rough sleepers, you will see more men, partly because rough sleeping is so dangerous for women, when you get to homeless people who are in temporary accommodation, it is disproportionately women. And as I said, you know, a lot of women become homeless because they're fleeing domestic abuse, for mm. example. So there are other specific circumstances that affect women that make them particularly vulnerable. And actually, even among rough sleepers, rough sleepers are the only group of people among whom life expectancy for women is lower than it is for men. Does it disproportionately affect transgender people? So homelessness can disproportionately affect particularly young LGBTQ plus people, often because of being thrown out of the family home. Teenage. So, yeah. yeah. So particularly among young adults and teenagers, yeah. And how does disability play into it? Well, so people with health conditions are also disproportionately represented among people on low incomes and therefore among people who can't afford a suitable place to live. So people receiving benefits, again, disproportionately women and disabled people are more likely to be homeless. So I want to know how we can help. But first of all, I want to come over to Jeannie. You're currently doing a master's, but you're worried about being evicted. Can you tell us about your situation? Right. So I've been a tenant um, living this property for the last four years. And I was never late with my rent. I was always on time and I always fully paid. And my previous tenancy is the same. So there was never a problem with any kind of payment. I had always made sure that we will always have a roof over our head. I'd rather have less on the plates, but a roof over our heads. Mm -hmm. And my children's is the most important thing you can think of as a mother. So because I'm a student, I was eligible for student finance. So I used this money to top up my rent, as the rents here in Bournemouth are very expensive. And the government, I'm lucky I'm getting help with um, housing benefit, but there is a certain amount and the rest you have to pay towards. So I used my student finance money in order to top up, in order to make sure we're paying the rent. So all good. To the point that it came, March was, I think, the start of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. It was fine. I still paid. Came April, I still paid. Came May, I still paid. A half month of May, it was all fine. I still paid fully. And then I asked my agency if I could pay weekly instead of full month. Bear in mind, I'm paying £1,700 a month for a four-bedroom house. So it's not less. It's quite a bit of money. And it's not a massive house. It's a normal house, which is fine. I had to accept um, the price, and that's just the current rent. And I thought, okay, I might be able just to get to speak to her to lower the rent. But she didn't want it to. She came back and said, no, she's not interested to even sit together and talk. After four years. Yeah. No interest, no interest. And we're talking about a woman. I mean, where's woman power? Where is help? Where is, you know, from woman to woman to say, hey, 
that support each other. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So my agency came back and said, sorry, she's not interested even to sit and talk. So I said, right. The only thing I can do at the moment, because normally I would go and uh, work, pick up the hours because I work part-time at Clark's. Um, so I would pick up the hours and work and make up for the amount of money. But I couldn't because it was lockdown. There was no work available for me. So I said, all right, I'm going to pay her the whole amount I'm getting as housing benefit completely. And the rest, I will pay her back every penny I owe as soon as I can. And there was near the end of May. Two weeks later, I had a letter, received a letter um, sent to me, Section 21, that by the end of um, September, I will have to leave. Well, the 4th of August, I have to leave my home. I'll be sent out. Wow. And that was quite hard because, you know, it's not just a house, as you said. It's my home and it's the children's home. And we were never late before. And there was no communication. There was a complete communication barrier. And I think if I had trouble before, I would understand and say, look, you know, she's trouble. We want to get her out. But no, I have a good relationship to the agency and there was never a problem before but she just didn't want to lower the rent. She just didn't want to even communicate. I mean, even if you had had trouble before, you're a single mother with three children. So, you know, I don't want to put out there that if you've ever had trouble, you deserve to be thrown out. But it just goes to show that even if you haven't had trouble before, some landlords seem to not be aware that there's a global pandemic and that uh, people have been made to stay inside and give up their jobs. And there's just literally nothing else that they can do. So what can we do to help Polly? Jeannie's saying she's not feeling any feminism from her landlady. How can the feminist community step up and help women and people of minority genders who are in this situation right now? At Shelter, we're trying to get as many people as possible to put pressure on Robert Jenrick, who's the Secretary of State for Housing, uh, to get him to, as soon as possible, legislate to protect people who have missed their rent because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. from being evicted. We were trying to get him to do it before Parliament stopped sitting last week, but he didn't. But it wouldn't be very, you know, what he needs to do basically is continue the ban on evictions until Parliament comes back in September. And then as soon as that happens, it's very, very straightforward, minor tweaks to legislation that he can pass to give judges the power to take into account the fact that the pandemic is the cause of people's rent arrears. So we would love people, you can go on the shelter website, it's very easy to find where to do it. Uh, We would love people to, or just go on Twitter and tweet Robert Jenrick and ask him to protect renters after the 23rd of August. So that's one thing. The other thing to do, I mean, we are anticipating at shelter, an absolute flood of people needing our support after the evictions ban ends. So we could really do with your support right now. I can't lie. It's not an easy time for charities. So the other thing to do is to support shelter. We really need that. So support shelter with your money, but to support government legislation, because otherwise we're, it's all this thing where we're all passing around the same tenor trying to help each other when actually... There are billionaires who are not being taxed and we're all trying to help each other all the time, which we should and we will continue to do. It doesn't hoover the humanity out of us to be able to to help. 
but we need to pressure our government to do the right thing absolutely. and make sure this is, this is just basic justice. This isn't charity. This is justice. If it's if, justice for renters after the 23rd of August. And we really would urge people to petition Robert Jenrick in order to just make these really small uh, legal changes that are needed. Government don't do things unless they think the people want them to. Mm-hmm. If they think enough people want them to do it, they will do it. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. You know, mm-hmm. that's how politics works. So I would really, really urge people to do that. And while you're about it, if you want to ask for a second thing, long term, the only solution to this, you can't fix homelessness without homes. Mm-hmm. The only solution to this ultimately is to build housing that people on low incomes can actually afford to rent, which frankly just doesn't exist. Holly, Sorry, Jeannie. We need housing on all sorts of ends of the spectrum, just in general for working class people, because it's not just people who are homeless or people on an extreme low income. It's people even for me uh, completely who, who have been hardworking or hard studying and working, bringing up the families and trying to just create a better life. Mm. So we need a stronger housing market, I think, on all spectrums. Um, Absolutely. We yeah. need everything from government paid for housing to affordable rents. I have paid my rent arrears back. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to register with the agencies and been out there to look for a new home because although I've paid it back, I still have to leave my home. Mm. I'm still. You are definitely having to leave that house, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still. It's so, to me, that's such a ridiculous response because if I were a landlord, which I'm very much not. Just put that out there. But if I were a landlord and I had someone who'd been playing brilliantly through, you know, four years and I'd never had a problem with them and they'd never had a problem with me. Now I've got to go through all the faff of finding someone else. There may not be a family who can afford this now because they're in the same situation. It makes so much more sense to me to just say, pay what you can over this period. Let's start again in January 2021 than to try and go through all of that estate agent fees and everything again. I think it's people are cutting off their noses despite their faces in the first place. It is pure, pure greed. There's nothing else to say. And actually slightly just nastiness. There's a sort of twisting of the knife there that really is unappealing. I mean, I don't know your landlady's situation. Maybe she's in massive debt. I don't know. But I genuinely do feel it's a foolish financial decision if you have somebody who's always made the rent and will clearly make the rent again and has said, look, I'll pay you back the arrears. And I think it's foolish financially. As I said, I've paid the arrears back. (laughs) Um, if you're listening at home and i know that you are Jeannie has just is just showing us that she's paid her arrears back but look you don't need to demonstrate that to me there are people who haven't and can't and won't be able to and and i still shouldn't be in vulnerable positions thrown onto the street vulnerable positions i think it's horrendous it's horrendous the government have already earmarked this was since way before the pandemic and all of that 12.2 billion over five years for affordable housing. And what we're saying is they need to bring that money forward and spend it in the next two years and make sure that they use it for properly affordable housing for people on lower incomes. And that is kind of the other bit of our big ask to the Secretary of State, Robert Jemrick, as well as the short-term fix is just this legislative change to protect the renters who are facing eviction now, like Jeannie. But the longer-term fix is not that long-term. They've got this money. All they need to do is bring it forward 
and they need to spend it for people who are on low incomes. And these are the people that I was saying, you know, that we've been clapping every Thursday evening. These are the hospital porters. These are the care home workers. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the know, supermarket people... workers. I read that 45 boots are closing across the country. How much were we relying on boots when that was all that was open? And... You know, if you've just lost your job and now you can't pay your rent and you're an ordinary person with an ordinary job, but an important job for that community. Now, elderly people have to catch a second bus to get to their boots and so on and so on. And then they miss their prescription and then they fall ill and so on and so on and so on. Vulnerable people constantly pay the price for this. Listen, wherever you're listening in the world as well, we, we have a lot of global listeners. There will be a shelter or similar in your country that is doing the same thing. So look for it, Google it, Google the details wherever you're living. I know, you know, for years when I've gone to America, I've been so shocked to see functional families living in their cars because there's no safety net at all in America. That doesn't seem to have been for years. They, mm. She lost her job, then he lost his job, and then the landlord said, get out. And then now they can't rent anywhere because they've got a record that it looks like they're not going to pay or they got caught in that subprime mortgage crisis and they're living in their car. They're just living in their car and there's no way out now. I've met women in this country who fled domestic abuse with their children who are living in their car. It's so wrong. It's so wrong. So wherever you're living, try and put pressure on your government and try and support the organisations that support those who are homeless. If people have a spare room or some people have a second home, is there a way that they can help if you have a second home you can rent it out and it's up to you how you set the rent if you have a second home that you go and stay in in the holidays then presumably you don't actually need income from that home in which case you could set the rent at whatever level you want and same with a spare room I suppose that's a good point I know with refugees at home you just contact them and say look I've got a spare room and it's available for this length of time you don't have to say for the rest of somebody's life. You can say, I'm happy to have someone in it for six weeks and then see how it goes. And if it goes well and the chemistry's right, you can extend that. But it just can stop somebody falling through the cracks. If they've got then six weeks or two months to find somewhere else and set themselves up, it can really help. I know that homelessness disproportionately affects black and brown people. And often black and brown people are also discriminated against by landlords who will say, oh, the flat's gone now. And I was reading a lot about this the other day that they'll say, oh, there's a flat available and then someone will turn up or they've got an Asian surname or something like that. And then they'll say, oh, it doesn't exist anymore. Sorry, I've already rented it out. How do we pressure the government to make sure that black and brown people are not disproportionately affected by homelessness? Well, so one of the ways that people discriminate in terms of renting is they, they used to anyway, uh, refuse to take any tenants who are receiving benefits. Mm-hmm. And by saying they won't take any tenants on benefits, they're actually indirectly discriminating against any group of people who are more likely to be on benefits than the general population. So i.e. Uh, women, uh, many people of colour, certainly disabled people. And we've actually, at Shelter, we've just brought a court case and won it, uh, which has made it unlawful to discriminate in renting against anybody receiving benefits. Which That's is a significant, amazing. Yeah. Which is a signal. So I'm so proud of my team for doing this. Yeah. So support Shelter, everyone, because sometimes you think, what can I do? But if you add your voice... And even, you know, a very, very small amount on direct debit if you've got it or a one-off donation, if you tweet about it, if you can't afford anything at all, 
give them a follow, give them a retweet, repost their stuff on Instagram because you know people who, frankly, have got more money than usual because they've kept their job and they're not going out anymore. They're not, you know, there's all sorts of expenses that they had that they don't have because they're sitting inside all of the time who might give a direct debit shelter. You could reach out to someone. If you've got a friend or a sibling or someone, you know that they've got an excellent income, but they're now not going to the cinema, not going to the theatre, not going to Pizza Express, their gym membership got halted for three months. Actually say to them, is there any chance you could set up a direct debit to shelter and use some of that expendable income on this because it would really help. And don't be frightened to do that. Uh, but that's phenomenal, and, Polly. You're, wor- you're really well supporting. And don't be frightened if you are trying to rent a place and it says on it, no DSS, it's known, it's still called, or the landlord, or even other ways of putting it, like professional tenants only, people sometimes mm. say. And it's a way of discriminating. That is now unlawful. Come on, shelter. You can challenge that. You can challenge that discrimination. And that does disproportionately impact women, BAME people, disabled people, and all of that. So people should know that that is now unlawful. That's amazing. Jeannie, is there anything else you came to say that we can help with or that you'd like to get off your chest? Yes, because I think it's very difficult. We are looking for a three-bedroom house and houses or properties, no matter what it is, it could be a bungalow, it could be anything are really hard to get by at the moment really so do you need (laughs) i think that's grace's dog do you or is it your dog oh it's genie's dog sorry grace it's not your dog it's genie's dog uh so genie do you need a house in bournemouth to rent yes please okay so if you have a place in bournemouth that you'd be happy to rent genie who's a brilliant tenant and her kids and her dog and you live in bournemouth and you have access to a place with three bedrooms then please could you get in touch at guiltyfeminist at gmail.com. That's our email and we'll forward that on to Jeannie, guiltyfeminist at gmail.com. Um, that's a really practical way that you can help right now if you have a place to rent in Bournemouth. Pool, Bournemouth or Christchurch. Pool, Bournemouth or Christchurch because that's where Jeannie's doing her master's and it's really unbelievable that we have to say Jeannie is a working mother who has a job and is doing a master's and is now being evicted because of a pandemic and circumstances that are way out of her control and global. It's ridiculous. But there you are. If you would like a brilliant tenant who's been on The Guilty Feminist, then please get in touch with us. Kima Bob, uh, you're looking for somewhere to live at the moment, aren't you? You're going through all of this. How are you finding it? Are you finding like your... I know you're... (sighs) writing Finish's show at the moment, Finish Kimar's Quibi show. So you should probably give that a plug because you need that to get recommissioned so you can afford yeah, rent. Yeah, yeah, so it could keep happening. Um, yeah, I think under the best circumstances, house hunting is stressful and these are not the best circumstances at all. <laughs> I, I can't, I, I want to tell people to watch it, right? But Quibi is like eight pounds a month. And there's good stuff on it, okay? It's got nom- there's stuff on Quibi has been nominated for 10 Emmys, okay? So somebody's watching it. Um, but yeah, I'm running Great. a show called Hello America, and that's, um, it's a really good thing, I think. Sorry, I'm just so, like, fucking, like, this is so real, so heavy, and so present. And I think just kind of, the lack of empathy that some people have at times like these is glaring. And so I think those of us that have the ability to do something about it, whether it be to write into Robert 
or to, you know, dig in our pockets, need to be active about it. Because if this, I think, pandemic has shown anything, it's that we're all vulnerable in one way or another, and we really need to stand together and be Mm -hmm. there for each other. Um, And something it's really shown us is that our governments won't. I'm American. I know firsthand our governments are not dependable. um, So we need to make them do what we need them to do. But we can't wait for them. We need to be there for each other as well. That's a great thought. And the reason I say that Kima's, if you can afford to sign up to Kubi for eight quid a month, even just for one month to watch Kima's, the show Kima writes on. The reason I say it is literally the only income performers have right now is writing work because, or like maybe we'll do a Zoom thing where there'll be like a nominal fee and then you get a little bit of money. But people will live in gig to gig. All the performers I know and many of the performers that are regulars on The Guilty Feminist that you know and love, they were living gig to gig. And, yep. you know, we knew, oh, I've got 26 dates between now and then, so that's this amount of money and that's how I'm paying my rent. So people oh, like Kima man. were completely reliant on that. Thank God Kima's got a job writing for Nisha's Quibi show. But if that show didn't get recommissioned, like how do you make your living? You know, so if you can even sign up just for one month and watch uh, Nisha's show, Hello America, which Kima's writing for, Sarah Barron's writing for, Desiree Birch is writing for and appearing on. Are you appearing on that show? Have you appeared on that show? I'm going to appear on an episode, no spoilsies, but basically I'm going to show up and have a face-off with some spicy foods. And spice is also symbolic to the racist histories of the U.S. and U.K. Ah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. um, And so did you say Sophie Duke is writing for it as well? Yeah, and she's going to appear on it on Monday, on this coming Monday. Amazing. Um, so just just get it on your app. If you can yeah. afford eight quid just for one month. I think it's hey, a, there's a free hey. trial even. And if you can't, just pretend and tweet about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, there are just clips. Tweet, just tweet go, about yeah, it. Yeah. People go to love social media. Go to Nish Kumar's Twitter and you can retweet the clips. Just, yeah, just um, be like, oh, wow. And go, oh, my wow. God, Hello America oh, is amazing. I love it. So, so fresh. So they wanted to appeal to like a young audience or something. Just be like, wow, this is so funky fresh. This is so dope. I don't think yeah. I should say funky fresh or dope. I'm I just think that's what the youth Kima. are saying. I think that's what the kids are saying, man. Yes, and that's exactly why I shouldn't say it. Brace Petrie, um, thank you for joining us and thank you for being our house band with Folky hey. Ben Moss. Do you have a relevant song for us today? <laughs> we do, or, an ir- or an irrelevant song would be no, fine today with. No, today we do. I think we do have a very relevant one, and it's funny because I nearly did something else. But um, oh, honestly, like what? What? Uh, Polly, all the work that you're doing is amazing, and Jeannie, you know, obviously talking about the lived experience of this, I just feel like the same idea uh, came up so many times, which is that idea of uh, safety net. And I feel mm. like I see, you know, a safety. Net. I've lived in Britain all my life, and. Uh, I feel like since 2010, I've just seen that safety net be cut more and more and more and more away. Mm. Um, I mean, I wrote this song that we're going to play for you now in 2010, just after the Conservatives got into power. And I know that Labour have not always been innocent in terms of uh, house building and uh, other things like that. And I'm not, not going to make this too party political, but I do think that, like Kima said, you know, the uh, the pandemic has exposed so many big lies about our society, and I think one of the big lies mm-hmm. that we live with all the time is that, you know, everything is completely beholden to money and to the markets. And actually, mm-hmm. the truth is we have, 
you know, we have resources that we choose to organise in a certain way. There is enough to go around in Britain and there's certainly enough to go around in the world and we could choose to organise things in such a way that means that everybody has enough and everybody has a roof over their head and we decide not to. That is a decision that is yeah. made by people and that is a decision that we have to change. I was hoping that we were going to change that decision in Britain in December 2019. That's not the decision that was made. The decision that I wanted to be made was for this country to be much more compassionate, but I think that going forwards, I don't want the lessons of, of what's been learned this year to be forgotten. And I think it is so important that the next time we have an opportunity to, to put a cross in a, in a box on a, on a piece of paper on a polling day, I think mm. it's so important that we remember, actually, like Kima said very articulately earlier on, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing that we've got is each other. Um, and, uh, and that's all we're ever going to have in this world. So I was just about to break into this song and Ben's just totally about... Yeah, he's like, nah. <laughs> I just could hear the cat meowing and I didn't want it to... Oh, you could hear interrupt. the cat meowing. That's all right, the cat was providing some backing vocals. So this is a song that I wrote about austerity when austerity first came in in 2010. It's grown to be much more uh, dreadful and extreme than I possibly could have imagined 10 years ago. Um, but um, it's called Farewell to Welfare, and, uh, and it's about the cutting away of the welfare state that we're seeing so much in this country, and, uh, and a, a message of solidarity, I suppose, to everybody out there. Um, and it goes like this. <coughs>
where I'd be Proud to bring up kids And these days I'd settle For a Britain Where I'd be Allowed to bring up kids And Mrs May If I may be so bold as to say That you are archaic view of family Holds no relevance today And if you think that all these people Before Grace, but never with such passion uh, and so vigor. Uh, I feel like you were very affected by the the conversation yeah, uh, really that we've had. Was. It really, really was. Yeah. Um, I thank you so much for music, which can, as always, elevate us and make us feel what we think. Yeah. Um, I really Set appreciate it. On fire. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Kima Bob, and our very Ooh. special guest, Polly Neat and Jeannie Preby, with music from Grace Petrie and Folky Ben Moss. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Solinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina DC, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. <laughs> Kima Bob are not necessarily those of the guilty feminists. What are you going to do? Find me! <laughs> that is, by the way, uh, if you're listening at home, uh, which you definitely are, um, uh, <laughs> because it's lockdown, uh, yeah. Kima Bob uh, decided before this episode that her catchphrase would be find me today. What are you yeah. going to do? Find me? So what if- are you going to find? No, not find me. <laughs> Find me. Oh, find, find me. me. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was yeah. find me. Oh, I'm but so also, sorry. But also, what are you going to do? Find me? <laughs> <laughs> it's got levels. It's got levels. 100%. So many levels. You, so you want to find me? You better find me first. That's yeah. right. So, yeah, look at my IP address. Please don't. Please don't come to where I am. A huge thank you to our amazing patrons who have supported this podcast at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. Sarah Brown, John Quokoy, Sarah Boom and Ruby Rose Thompson. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.